not quite a month ago, I was invited to be a part of a wedding. Preached a wedding sermon. This was a different wedding. The wedding of a man who had jumped out of a church because he couldn't forgive. This is a wedding of a man who had lost his wife since that street and had uh, had a good relationship with his wife, but now was finding life to be lonely. Finding that he didn't have church, he didn't have a wife, he needed to come back to God. And through the dating of his, his uh, next wife-to-be, he got back to church. Now, this was a different way, because this man was 93 years old, and his wife-to-be was 77 years old. So they stood before me, they stood through the service, 10-minute sermon, whatever, they stood there, we recounted their, we gave recognition of their first partners, but... You know, until death do us part takes on new meaning at 93 and 77. <laughs> and 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 they I had met with this man numerous times to try to get him over this unforgiveness of this uh, this church that he had left, which was a congregational church. And uh, he just didn't want to come back to God through that. And his wife fled with me before she died that. Somehow we need to get John back to the Lord. We need to get John back to the Lord. And uh, I met with him in January, and he told me, he says, I'm just madly in love with your neighbor. And a 77-year-old lady, he's 93. Well, he was actually 92. He was, he was 93 September 6th. The wedding was August 13, 15. All practical purpose, he was 93 years old. And now, he says, he's back to church. And as I met with him before the wedding, I wanted him to hear what I should say. What do you say to a 93-year-old about marriage? What do you just say to somebody who's been through it? And, and so I wanted to sit with him and find out what, what I could say at his wedding would be appropriate. And he said, well, I, I've learned a few things. He said, I learned a few things that that sin will keep you out of heaven. Now that's common to us. But in some church settings, it doesn't have the same meaning as it means to us. Okay? And he stressed that he needed to do things right. I said, now, why didn't you at 93, why didn't you just go and live with this lady? <coughs> oh, that wouldn't be right. He said, I've studied the Bible, and it talks a lot about adult. He meant adultery, but he wasn't really a biblical verse. He said, I studied a lot about adultery. He said, I come to find out that if, if I would live with this lady, it would commit adultery and I would enter heaven. Isn't that a beautiful place to come to? But see, only as he experienced the forgiveness, as he started to get over the forgiveness, the unforgiveness in his spirit, only then was he able to see clearly what the Bible was teaching him for how to live his life. Now, I didn't know that a 93-year-old man could be as madly in love as he is, but it was a joy to be in his way because for two reasons. First of all, we knew that he made some things right with God. And the Baptist minister was in a Baptist church. The Baptist minister that married him said, I will not marry you unless you are right with God. 
And he too had sat with the man and said, Are you saved? Are your sins under the blood? And I was, I was impressed by that. The minister said, We're not going to marry unequally yoked people. You need to have your sins forgiven. You need to be free in order for me to marry you. And I, it was a joy to see this man's happiness, but it was a joy to see this man's freedom in standing right before God. This morning, I think of another illustration as we look at the message on practicing a forgiving spirit of a man who died in November of 2006 after a long marriage of pain and heartache. And that man had, had a son who has been a beneficiary of all the bitterness and all the hardship within that marriage. And God's big enough to bring healing and has brought healing to this, to this wife. The husband is now gone. As of November of 2006, he passed away. But after we met time and time again to talk about what was standing between them, we realized that it was one little thing stacked upon another little thing, and it became a whole mess. one point we asked the wife, would you make a list of the things that are standing between you and your husband? And ask him to make a list of the things that he thought that were standing in the way of their relationship. So they did that. And it was interesting. They both had basically the same list. They had been recounted over and over again. High on the list, a big thing, was a Ford Pinto car. Do any of you know about the Ford Pinto cars? <laughs> Way back in the 70s, she, as a single, an older single lady, had invested in this car, bought it, kept it in good shape, but when they got married, she says he ran it into the ground. Well, cars do get older and do run into the ground. I don't know whether he was careless with it or not, but she held it against him and was not willing to leave a rest. So he knew it, she knew it, they were on their list. Some point in their raising their son, the father had tussled with the boy in the living room and broken the clothes rack. And he never fixed the clothes rack. And so that happened to be on the list. And the list went for about 12 items. We're talking about years of holding and not releasing, not practicing forgiveness. And you know, as we went to the funeral of this man, we went to the funeral and the lady stood by the coffin. And I said, you know, this is a sad day. And she said to me, you know, I just, beginning to realize there was like a rod between us that kept us apart. Something had started this ball rolling and, and it kept adding until they were carrying around, as it were, a sack of potatoes that were rotting. And you know what rotten potatoes look like? They look like mush. And when she'd walk in the door of the house, he would just be attacked. 
Or she would attack him or he would attack her. They hadn't learned to practice forgiveness. I'm going to continue just a few moments on what I said earlier about am I really offended or am I just taking up an offense? Now, if I had our attention to Matthew chapter 5, I think it was referred to in the devotional time this morning, where it says, if we have ought against our brother, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and following, Matthew 5, 23, Therefore if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way, first be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Reconciliation needs to be made before we can worship. I have offended, I have wronged, I need to be forgiven. Go to that person that you sense is having a problem with you. By the way, how do you sense when a person has a problem with you? What is a safeguard in the church? What is a way in the church that helps us to recognize that somebody has something against us? Not all churches practice this as much as others, but the Holy Kiss, when I greet you with the Holy Kiss and say, good morning, God bless you, when I look the person in the eye and say, God bless you, if that person has something against me, it's going to become obvious. There's something about that level of greeting, that level of, that you can sense whether the person is clear with you or whether they aren't. I thank God for that ordinance of the church because it has helped to keep in check some relationships. It has helped to identify some problems in a relationship. But here, if I sense that there's a brother that has a problem with me, what can I do? Can I go and take care of it? Can I go and, and deal with it? Or we have in Matthew 18 where it says, if somebody has done wrong to us, how we need to go to them and we need to uh, tell them that they've done wrong to us. And uh, we need to straighten it out and make sure that things are clear. But I often ask the question, when I'm sensing that this person has wronged me, did they intentionally choose to hurt me? Am I easily offended? I want to be a little more thick-skinned than that, to think that everybody is just out to get me or is out to offend me or to hurt me. And I have in my desk a sign by Isaac Watts, I will not easily be offended, nor willingly offend. And what's amiss, I'll strive to mend and endure whatever I can't amend. This lady, as she stood by her husband's casket, said there was like a rod between us. But she sought God's forgiveness for that and I believe is living in peace with God right now. She can't understand what all happened, but it was because they hadn't chose to practice forgiving in their relationship. And it becomes a mountain. It becomes a bag of potatoes that rots and stinks. 
and becomes a problem that is obvious to oh so many people. I'd like to take us back to Genesis for an example of a person, two people, that had this challenge with not forgiving and then coming to the place where they started practicing forgiveness for each other. It's Jacob and Esau. And in Genesis chapter 32, we have the account of Jacob and Esau coming together. We know about the birthright and we know about the blessing being stolen and you know, Esau weeps over his losses and the hatred that had set in and the bitterness and the revenge that had been there. You know, Jacob needed to flee and that was fleeing for his life. Here in Genesis chapter 32, we see him starting to come back together. I can start at verse 1. And Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's host. And he called the name of that place Mahanaim. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, unto the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, Thus shall ye speak unto my lord Esau. Thy servant Jacob saith thus, I have sojourned with Laban, and stayed there until now. And I have oxen and asses, flocks and men servants, and women servants. And I have sent to tell my lord that I may find grace in thy sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to thy brother Esau, and also he cometh to meet thee, and four hundred men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people that was with him, and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two bands. And he said, If Esau come to the one company and smite it, then the other company which is left shall escape. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord which says unto me, Return unto thy country and to thy kindred, and I will deal with thee, I will deal well with thee. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant. For with my staff I passed over this Jordan, and now I am become two bands. Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he'll come and smite me and the mother with the child, the children. And thou saidest, I will surely do thee good, and make thy seed as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. And he lodged there that same night, and took of that which came to his hand, a present from Esau his brother, Two hundred she-goats and twenty he-goats, two hundred ewes and twenty rams, thirty milch camels with their colts, forty kine and ten bulls, twenty she-asses and ten fowls. And he delivered them into the hand of his servants, every drove by themselves, and said unto his servants, Pass over before me and put a space betwixt drove and drove. And he commanded the foremost, saying, When Esau my brother meeteth thee, and asketh thee, saying, Whose art thou, and whither goest thou? And whose are these before thee? Then thou shalt say, They be thy servant Jacob's. It's a present. Send unto my lord Esau. And behold also, he is behind us. And so commanded he the second and the third and all that followed the droves, saying, On this manner shall ye speak unto Esau when ye find him. And say ye, moreover, Behold, thy servant Jacob is behind us. For he said, I will appease him with the present that goeth before me. And afterward I'll see his face. Peradventure he will accept of me. So went the present over before him, and himself lodged that night in the company. And he rose up that night and took his two wives and his two women servants and his eleven sons and passed over the ford Jacob, Jabok. 
And he took them and sent them over the brook and sent over that he had. And Jacob was left alone and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And we know that Jacob met God there. Chapter 33. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau came, and with him four hundred men. And he divided the children unto Leah, and unto Rachel, and unto the two handmaids. And he put the handmaids and their children foremost, and Leah and their children after, and Rachel and Joseph hindermost. And he passed over before them and bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. Remember, 21 years of separation. 21 years of unforgiveness and of bitterness that had set in. And now God told Jacob to go back to the land that he's raised in. Go back to where Esau is. And here they're now coming to meet each other. A sign of desire to be reconciled. A step that needed to be taken. I believe both of them had a responsibility here. And it says, he passed over before them and bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. And Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him. And they wept. That's more than a holy kiss, brothers, sisters. That's more than just a casual meeting with someone. That's a saying, I am sorry for the past. That's the beginning of practicing forgiveness. And he lifted up his eyes and saw the women and the children and said, Who are those with thee? And he said, The children which God hath graciously given thy servant. Then the handmaidens came near, they and their children, and they bowed themselves. And Leah also with her children came near and bowed themselves. And after came Joseph near and Rachel, and they bowed themselves. Then he said, What meanest thou by all this drove which I met? And he said, These are to find grace in the sight of my Lord. And Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep that thou hast unto thyself. And Jacob said, Nay, I pray thee, if now I have found grace in thy sight, then receive my present at my hand. For therefore I have seen thy face as though I had seen the face of God, and thou wast pleased with me. Take, I pray thee, my blessing that's brought to thee, because God hath dealt graciously with me, and because I have enough. And he urged him and took it. A sign of acceptance. A sign that they could be friends. He'd seen, as it were, the the face of God, the forgiveness. None of us have had to face the same reproach that our Savior has needed to face. None of us have had to face the experiences such as Corrie Ten Boom, who in her story recounts how that she needed to continue to forgive the guards, for what they were doing to her and to the other prisoners in the concentration camps in Germany. And she recounts that how one day she was speaking at a church and in the back sat one of the guards some years later after the war and this was all over. This guard had come to the Lord and he was in the back of the church service listening to Corey recount her experiences. And at the end of the service, he came forward. He came down the aisle to meet Corey. And Corey saw him stretch his hand out to, to shake her hand as a sign of friendship. And she said, I, I could not. She said, something welled up within me and I could not lift my arm to reach out to this man who had so painfully tormented us, who had saw the death of so many innocent people. 
I could not, but I knew I must. And so I started, I finally started to raise my hand. And as I raised my hand and extended it out to that guard to shake his hand, I felt the grace of God present. And my heart just overflowed, overflooded with forgiveness because I began the process. Can you imagine what Jacob and Esau did as they began this process of healing? The account goes on and says that they went back to the land. Their father was still alive. And they were able to both join together in the burial of their father. Oh, what a sad thing it is when we come to a funeral service. And there's families that are on this side, families that are on this side, they can't talk to each other because of some little thing. Some little potato that they put in their bag and they're carrying it and it's rotted. You understand the analogy? Something they've kept adding to the whole picture. And life has become bondage to them. Life has become, I'll just tell you, what a low way to live. What a low way to live. But because of the power of God in forgiving us, we have the power of God to forgive each other. For when? He didn't say thank you. For me doing his chores. And the like. We have the power of God to forgive. And really, this practice of forgiving is going to then change our life. It puts us out of the cage. You know, if you don't forgive somebody else, it doesn't hurt them all that much. But it hurts you. And you become a a different person because you've not chosen to practice forgiveness. Now, These boys found reconciliation and they found forgiveness that they were able to bury their father together. But there's other people that have come to the grave with problems with other people never resolved. But just make sure if we have a problem and we've tried to resolve it, that we are clear and we have done our part to extend forgiveness to another person. Another example that comes to mind is David, being chased by King Saul. Can you imagine the times he had to forgive, the times he had to choose to say, no, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. I refuse. And it says that David mourned the death of Saul. David lamented that it had to come to that. But David was clear. David was able to live today because he had practiced forgiving. He had chosen over and over again to forgive this man who was out to hurt him. You and I need to be of such a spirit. And I jotted down a whole list of things that I need to keep checking my spirit so that I'm able to forgive. I'm going to share them with you this morning. These are things that I believe that get in the way of me extending and practicing forgiveness. One of them, the question, am I clothed in humility? Or is there some amount of pride in my life that says I'm better than that other person? If that spirit of humility is present, I can go on in forgiveness. Am I prone to anger and wrath? Or is that a problem in my life that's out of control? If anger and wrath is a problem in my life, then whatever anybody does against me, anytime they step in my path, 
there's going to be disaster. Number three, am I committed to peace? Am I committed to peacemaking? To doing what I can to make sure that relationships are peaceful. Some years ago, a man came to our schoolroom and he wanted to enroll his students, his children. And he said he moved into the area to be a street preacher. And then he was with a preacher in the town of Tawanda, Pennsylvania. And then he was the singer and the man was the preacher and they had a fallout one with another. And that they were no longer doing the same thing, not doing it together. They were now separated. And he said, I want to become a preacher and I'm going to go into some of the places that we used to go to and I'm going to preach. So, well, what for conflicts that going to create with this other man? Well, yeah, it created conflict. He went to enroll his students. I said, well, his children. But I said, well, you're not, you're not living at peace. You need to get right with this man. You need to, we require that parents be Christian and, and this isn't a Christian way to respond. He says, well, can you help me? Well, I don't know. What would you like me to do? Well, can you meet with this other person? Well, yeah, I'll try to meet with this other person. So I went downtown one night, unannounced, and uh, went to this building that this man lived in, this older preacher, and I went up the steps on the outside, knocked on the door, and his wife answered the door and said, I was here to speak to the preacher. Well, he's not home yet, but have a seat. He'll be home shortly. And shortly I heard a big man coming up the steps. Boom, boom, boom. Came up the steps and came in, real rough and gruff type man. And I told him what I was here for. I said, there's a man that I apparently, that I met that apparently has fallen out with you. Yeah, I guess we do have a fallout here. He's trying to be a preacher. And I'm preaching in the same spots and, you know, the same city. And he's trying to take my place. And, you know, you're not supposed to build another man's foundation and you get a whole row. Said, well, all I'm asking is, would you be willing? Would you be willing to meet with this man and to take care of it? Well, he'd think about that. A few days later, they met, the other man called me and he said, hey, Dale, guess what? Today I was walking downtown and that preacher stopped with his vehicle and gave me a ride. And I'm sitting in the back seat and he reaches around and he shakes, his, shakes my hand and he says, let's just bury the hatchet. Let's just bury the hatchet. What a beautiful, beautiful thing. Say, I'm going to choose to start practicing forgiveness, even though there were some real hurts there. They, this man wanted to be committed to peace. Am I committed to peace? If I'm not, I'm going to have a lot of problems with this area of forgiveness. Number four, do I choose and pray for love, for fervent charity? Number five, am I easily entreated? Is it easy for people to come to me and tell me when I have offended? Or is there a wall there? Number six, am I merciful toward others? Last night we talked about a critical spirit or a judgmental spirit. On the scale of zero to ten, where am I? Number seven, am I sympathetic toward others? Or do I feel that they deserve some of the things that they get? And number eight, am I a cooperative person? 
Number nine, do I strive to be reasonable with my brothers and my sisters? Or how is it with me? Do I reject sowing discord? Am I willing to help? Do I take care of things as they come up? Practicing a forgiving spirit starts with the little things, brothers and sisters. David learned how freeing it was to forgive. And he continued on and on and on in that experience. And the experience of David was such that he was able to be effective because he was willing to put aside what could have become anger and bitterness and that spirit of revenge and that laying blame and that thing of saying, you know, he did this before to me. Now I uh, really deserve to hold this against him. But he chose to practice a forgiving spirit. How about you and me this morning? Is there a need for me to go to someone and to say, I need your forgiveness? It's costly because it's hard of my pride. It's costly because they might reject, has in it the word give. So I need to choose to give out. I need to choose to extend understanding to my brothers and sisters in the Lord. Let's turn to Matthew 5 again. We have here the, in Matthew 6, excuse me, the, the Lord's Prayer. We have here the Lord's Prayer. And it says, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Giving reverence, respect, honor. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Is that our desire? Give us this day our daily bread. Give us, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We're going to face this problem of being offended the rest of our lives. We're going to face this problem of being careless with our words and offending someone else. It'll be our actions. We hurt someone else. The rest of our lives, we're going to be dealing with this because we're in the flesh. I thank you for the example of Jesus on the cross. The example there that said, whatever sin... I'm willing to take it under the blood. And I'm willing to remove it as far as east from the west to be remembered no more so that you can stand before the Father on that judgment day. You can stand there 
and there's not a sin that can be brought up. Father, I thank you for that great, great privilege. Help us to see the connection between the forgiveness that you extend to us and the forgiveness that we need to extend to each other. Lord, we're just human. But we all have worth. We all have value. And just because we fail doesn't mean that we have less value. We need to recognize that the person who's failed may be extremely sorry for that, but they're really not able to change it. They're not able to change it. They need to be released from it. What a powerful, powerful thing. In the church, what a testimony in the community when there's forgiveness extended. Oh, remember the nickel mines account where the Amish forgave the person who had killed their children. Oh, the church down south here somewhere that had some shootings and they chose to forgive the man who killed nine people. Lord, help us to be ready to extend. What a powerful testimony to a world. A world that's so selfish. A world that's so unforgiving. A world that keeps record. God, forgive us for keeping record. If there's anyone here that's carrying a sack of potatoes, it's smelling pretty raunchy right now. Pray that they just release that this morning. I pray that they'd give it to you and let you be the one that takes care of that situation. If there's a situation that needs to be dealt with, you are able to deal with it. Lord, help us to walk free. Help us to be free from revenge, free from a spirit of bitterness, free from using our energies to think about this other person and how they've wronged us. Lord, we want to be free to serve you. We want to be free to make a difference in your kingdom. Time is short. You've called us to, to be a part of the church, to work here and now for the bringing in of lost souls. And yet so often we're, we're wallowed down in some unforgiveness or some sin that has become a detriment. Pray for this congregation of people. Thank you for them. Thank you for your plan for them. Thank you for each gift. Thank you, Lord, for the way that you're going to use them in the future. You have great plans for them. Help them to be a forgiving congregation. Help them to, to be courageous in going to the person that's offended saying, I've been offended, but I, I choose to forgive you. Give me some time. I, I, I will, by God's help, forgive you. Lord, the devil knows. The devil knows how to stifle the work of the church. And I believe he knows that this area has played extreme havoc in our circles. I pray that you'd help us to find your grace, your victory, your joy, to live today in harmony. Bless us the remainder of this day. May it be a day that brings praise and glory to your name. 
We lift you up, dear Jesus, as our Savior, as our Lord. We thank you and thank you and thank you for the forgiveness of sins. If we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we have an advocate, Jesus, who stands before the Father, ready to plead our case. Thank you for that. We love you. We adore you. We worship you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.